You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Czech authorities arrested a Russian man in connection with 2012's LinkedIn hack. U.S. response to Russian election hacking is still under preparation. IoT botnets proliferate as Mirai source code spreads through the criminal underground. Some 200 strains of ransomware are reported in the wild. Financial regulators push greater security. Muddy Waters and St. Jude continue their dispute over medical device vulnerabilities. And notes from Cyber Maryland 2016. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore, coming to you from Cyber Maryland 2016 with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 20th, 2016. News that Czech authorities arrested a Russian national on charges related to hacking U.S. targets was widely but incorrectly seen as marking the opening shot in the much-anticipated American response to Russia's recent cyber offensive. In fact, the crimes the still unnamed 29-year-old man is alleged to have committed instead are related to the 2012 LinkedIn hack. Credentials stolen in that incident could have been used in subsequent compromises, but that remains a matter of speculation. In any case, the gentleman now facing extradition proceedings in a Prague court isn't exactly fancy bear, or even cozy bear. A Czech judge will decide whether he will be turned over to American authorities to face trial in the U.S., So while the FBI appears to have helped Czech police collar this particular hacker, the arrest doesn't seem to represent a U.S. retort to Russian hacking of the Democratic National Committee or related political targets. Observers think that some set of stiff sanctions remains the likeliest form of U.S. response to Russian activity. Former NSA Director Michael Hayden commented to the Heritage Foundation this week that hacking a political party's email was the sort of espionage states do engage in, quote, honorable state espionage, as he put it, that's not to say the U.S. has to like it. Hayden went on to say that election hacking should be put in the Russian problem box, not the cyber problem box. This morning at Cyber Maryland, Admiral Rogers, the current NSA director, noted that election hacking was the sort of information operation Russia has engaged in for a long time. The emergence of cyberspace as an operational domain has greatly enhanced what they can do in this regard. Quote, we've acknowledged that the Russians were behind the hacking of the DNC and others. We need to step back and think about the implications of this. Fundamentally, as a nation, it's important that we believe the mechanisms of government can be trusted. How can we engender trust and confidence and send the right message to the rest of the world? End quote. 
In any case, Russian hacking is thought unlikely in the extreme to directly control results of voting this November. The U.S. voting system is too disparate to make this likely. But analysts see two potential problem areas. Disruptive chaos on election day itself, possibly produced by affecting the AP's poll tracking and result projection system, and a general erosion of citizens' confidence in the U.S. political system. Turning to conventional cybercrime, ransomware and IoT botnet-driven DDoS remain the most widespread forms of cybercrime globally. Bank Info Security's scorecard shows more than 200 ransomware strains now in circulation. Standards bodies and regulators are working to evolve modes of defense and design, and U.S. financial regulators in particular are promising new guidelines. The proliferation of Mirai source code continues to drive formation of Internet of Things botnets. Krebs on security is tracking some firms it believes occupy some fringe area between legitimate domain registrars and DDoS enablers. Muddy Waters Capital, famous for having shorted St. Jude stock, then releasing results of research that allegedly revealed vulnerabilities in St. Jude medical devices, has returned to the news with more allegations of flaws in implantable cardiac devices. They report these in the form of videos posted to a site Muddy Waters has established for that purpose. St. Jude is suing both Muddy Waters Capital and the vulnerability researchers it employed, MedSec, alleging that reports of vulnerabilities are inaccurate and sensationalized, and done for Muddy Waters and MedSec's financial gain. Verizon's acquisition of Yahoo remains in doubt as Verizon continues to assess the materiality of Yahoo's recent breach disclosure. Not in doubt, however, are two other acquisitions. Nehemiah Security has announced its acquisition of Triumphant, and Malwarebytes has acquired ADW Cleaner, a French company that specializes in anti-adware technology. As we mentioned, we're podcasting today from Cyber Maryland 2016, which opened this morning at the Inner Harbor Hilton in Baltimore. This morning's keynote address was by Admiral Michael Rogers, NSA Director and Commander, U.S. Cyber Command. He was particularly concerned to emphasize the importance of human capital in the cyber domain. Some of the most excellent human capital on record will be honored here tonight as the National Cybersecurity Hall of Fame inducts its newest members. The class of 2016 includes Dan Gear, Chief Information Security Officer at InQtel, Lance J. Hoffman, Distinguished Research Professor of Computer Science at George Washington University, Horst Feistel, cryptographer and inventor of the United States Data Encryption Standard, Paul Carger, high assurance architect, prolific writer and creative inventor, Butler Lampson, adjunct professor at MIT, Turing Award and Draper Prize winner, Leonard J. Lapadula, co-author of the Bell Lapadula Model of Computer Security, and William Hugh Murray, pioneer, author and founder of the Colloquium for Information System Security Education. Congratulations to them all. Tom Sadowski is Vice Chancellor for Economic Development for the University System of Maryland. He sat down with us here at Cyber Maryland to discuss the evolution of the conference and the role of the university system in the cyber ecosystem. So here we are at Cyber Maryland, and uh, this is an event that uh, you have been involved with uh, for a long time. Six uh, years, yeah. Take us through sort of the evolution of Cyber Maryland and, and where it is today. Well, it started out as, as this idea about, you know, supporting the mission at uh, Fort Meade and um, NSA. And, you know, the, the nature of the mission there involved the private sector and the talent pool. And so we thought, you know, let's get all the community players together and talk about how we can be better supporters of the post and then industry associated with the post. And then we started to understand the nature of the industry and all the commercial applications. So it kind of grew from there, This, all these great relationships and the, this 
community ecosystem began to build. And today, we like to refer to it as this community of communities because Cyber Maryland then reached out to Cyber Texas and you know, Cyber California. And next thing you know, I think today at the, at the conference, we launched Cyber USA. So again, building this, this community network really spawned from a couple of champions that really believed in the, in the mission here and the, and the promise of the industry and just getting the right stakeholders together. And, and what is the advantage of, of having a regional get together like this? I think the the advantage of having a regional get together is, you know, anytime you get a little too parochial, you know, you become a little, you, you, you suffer too much from tunnel vision. So regional, there are a lot of complementary assets throughout the region. You know, no, no one jurisdiction or no one, you know, confined geographic marketplace can ever feel like they control, particularly something like cyber. So the benefits of having a regional conversation are, you broaden the realm of the conversation. You know, you have different skill sets, different, you know, um, I guess backgrounds that, that are encouraged and, and then new ideas stem from there. And then, you know, you garner more resources and you kind of create, you know, again, I think a larger, more plugged in community. Whereas, you know, if you're just working within a confined, constrained, uh, I think your ideas and then your impact becomes constrained as well. So I think regionalism has been really key. You're, uh, you're involved with the university system yes. now. What is the role that the university system has to play in all of this? We're in the business of human capital development. That means, you know, if it's the furtherance of ideas, of creation of new ideas, discovery, uh, the generation of talent, uh, all those things are critical. And, you know, we know that we play an important role in the state's economic development conversation, but you know, we do a lot each and every day to support the federal government in its mission. Uh, we do a lot every day to support industry and what they do and the nature of how innovation is done it requires partnership now and that, so our job each and every day now is putting ourselves out there and making letting the world know that we're active and engaged partners in that whole innovation discussion and meanwhile you know we have to be mindful of the students you know because without that human you heard uh, general or I'm sorry admiral mike rogers say today i mean the human capital uh, concern is the, the greatest challenge we face in this cyber discussion and you know we take that seriously so we know that we're generating the talent and the minds necessary to keep this nation's economic engine running and uh, so we take that job very seriously and if we're not part of the conversation then we don't know how to best do that. That's Tom Sadowski, Vice Chancellor for Economic Development for the University System of Maryland. And finally, another note to you, fellow Utes, this one courtesy of Admiral Rogers, who noted this morning that his millennial sons, children of their generation, think the ability to access whatever data you want in whatever format you choose is in the United States Constitution somewhere. It's a living document, maybe. And you kids, you still got to get off my lawn. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps. 
keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Pleased to be joined once again by Ron Yahalem. He's the project leader at the Malware Lab of the Cybersecurity Research Center at Ben Gurion University. Uh, Ron, I know today you wanted to talk about uh, something in your research that is uh, referred to as bad USB. Well, uh, Dave, users they t- trust USB devices to do what they think that the device is supposed to do, but in reality, USB devices are small computers that can be reprogrammed to do just about anything. So you really should think of a USB device as a syringe. And uh, be sure that it's sterile before you inject it into the host computer. Okay, now this, this concept is commonly referred to as bad USB, which is actually a family of USB attacks that are uh, based on a reprogramming of the USB device's firmware. The reprogramming is usually made possible by reverse engineering. There are other ways, but uh, usually you just reverse engineer the firmware update process. And then you can practically reprogram the device to do whatever you want it to. Now, it's important to understand that the bad USB, it's not a technical flaw or a vulnerability. It's just uh, completely compliant with the USB specifications. You have a lot of examples of bad USB attacks. For example, uh, you've got device emulation attacks where you have a flash drive that emulates a keyboard and injects keystrokes or a, a flash drive that emulates a network adapter. And uh, it just overrides the host DNS and default gateway settings once you inject it into the host. Uh, another example of a bad USB attack would be a boot sector virus. Okay, once you plug in an infected flash drive, it detects which uh, operating system it's communicating with. When the BIOS accesses the flash drive, a keyboard is emulated to get the host to boot from a hidden storage that was uh, placed on uh, the flash drive, and this hidden storage contains a rootkit. And uh, that's how you get a rootkit uh, to infect uh, the host computer that's booting from the flash drive. So these attacks are very, are very, very powerful. So are we seeing reports of these types of attacks in the wild? Formal reports, no. Uh, but uh, these attacks have been demonstrated. So uh, we know they work. We have seen also some, um, some scientific papers published about uh, different attacks also based on reprogramming of uh, firmware, for example, for uh, reprogramming of uh, webcams firmware so that it's actually spying on whoever's using the webcam and stuff like that. All right, Ran Yahalem, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? 
With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.